Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's the Ringers Philly special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page, plus start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Hungry dogs run fast. Welcome to the Ringers Philly Special. Sheila Kapadia here, joined by Ben Solak and Ace producer Cliff Augustine. Here's what we're doing today. We're doing a little Eagles look ahead. I know it's not training camp yet, but it'll be here before we know it. Ben and I are going to answer one simple question. Who are the most intriguing players on this Eagles roster going into camp? Not for the season, not for the next three years, just for that stretch from late July until the first uh, week of the season, who do we have our eyes on? So we'll do that, and then I'll finish out uh, with uh, with another segment with Raheem Palmer joining to talk a little Phillies and Sixers. Benjamin, I haven't seen your handsome face in so long. Uh, you got to lead us off here with who your most intriguing eagle is going into training camp. Yeah. Don't you think it, like... Do- don't you wonder if Nick Sirianni <laughs> knew what he was doing to Eagles content creators when they got rid of mandatory minicamp? Like, this is, we're doing training camp preview stuff in June. How dare they? All these other teams, the Bills got Stephon Diggs drama to talk about. I'm seeing Patriots updates on Mac Jones accuracy. And here we are, just nothing to talk about on the Eagles. We need mandatory minicamp back for the content, all right? That's what it's there for. Yeah, they only had six practices, the Eagles. Two were open to the media. The one I went to was inside. Uh, wasn't a lot going on. It was about an hour. After a half an hour, a bunch of the veterans met with Sirianni and they walked out. A bunch of the other veterans didn't even show up. Uh, I'm all for it. Let you know. Let these guys relax. They'll be fine. I'm They're for veterans. it from a team building <laughs> perspective. I'm anti it for a doing Eagles podcast in, in, in June uh, perspective. When yeah. we're talking most interesting Eagles for training camp, to me, like there's an unquestioned number one name. I'll be curious if you feel the same way, and that's Nicobe Dean, uh, second-year linebacker out of Georgia. To me, that's the most interesting. Like certainly the rookies are interesting, but the rookies are interesting every single year. Nicobe Dean's functionally a rookie, right? Barely had any starting snaps last season, but has huge responsibility on his shoulders. There is no veteran parachute, you know. 
chill guy who maybe can start for you if Nicobe Dean is bad behind Nicobe Dean on the depth chart right now. If that guy exists, he's Nicholas Morrow, and he's already starting because the Eagles linebacker room is kind of that thin. Uh, behind Dean, it's it's Caden Ellison, and, and it's and it's Sean Bradley, and it's Davian Taylor. There's no clear veteran. Like they need Nicobe to be able to play. And there were positive reports out of Nicobe last year in, in training camp, but you brought up, and there's I think a lot of veracity to this point. That if Nicobe Dean really blew the Eagles out of the water, they would have found ways to get him on the field. I think that they kind of pigeonholed him into being TJ Edwards' backup and being the Mike linebacker and never really considered playing him over Kaiser White. I think that was to his detriment. But now, like, he's going to have the green dot. He's going to be calling in plays. He's going to be that presumed Mike linebacker in the first year of a new defensive coordinator on a defense that is largely set everywhere else. Like the Eagles have like tons of, of experienced veterans and had a hugely successful defense last year along the defensive line and at corner. Like, N'Kobe's got to be the captain. He won't really be the captain because he's a young guy, but he's got to be the captain, the quarterback, the signal caller for this extremely good unit. He's got to do it very fast with a new D.C. A lot of challenges. Um, and the other thing that makes N'Kobe's training camp really important is – he came into league undersized. Like everybody knew that he was a smaller linebacker, and that was a concern for his eval. And so when he's out there playing with the ones and playing against the Eagles defense, or excuse me, playing against the Eagles offense and trying to tackle Jalen Hurts and Rashad Penny, he's got to be able to look the part. He has to be fast. He has to be physical. Like you need to be able to see from this guy that he can hang at the NFL level. And I think he can, but it's a box that's important to check when you talk about these undersized players. So Nicobe Dean, to me, by far the most interesting Eagles player coming into training camp. Yeah, I had two, and he was uh, he was definitely one of them. If, you know, for all the reasons you laid out. I mean, the Eagles fan base is so hungry to have a linebacker they can just get behind and be like, "Oh yes, we do not have to worry about this yeah. for the next whatever while. three to five years." And he kind of fits <laughs> that profile, you know. Like if he hits, he's going to be a fan favorite. Great personality. It was a great teammate, great leader at Georgia by yeah. all accounts. This is a guy like now he just needs to be able to play, which. Is the question mark. I mean, it's tough to, you know, you look at the data points we have. Number one, he got drafted later than most people thought, right? He, he got drafted 83rd overall in the third round. Eagles said they were, you know, thrilled to get him. They thought about taking him earlier, which every, uh, every team says after they get a guy yep. like that. So that's number one. And then you mentioned it. Number two, TJ Edwards and Kaiser White were the starting linebackers for this team uh, last season. Now, T.J. Edwards, all right, he's a veteran. He's a guy coaches are going to love. You can't, a rookie beating him out was probably uh, going to be a tall task. But, you know, as we discussed on Philly Special all season long, especially in the second half of the season, Kaiser White was not a great player for them. And so if N'Kobe Dean was really showing them stuff in practice, like there could have been some motivation to get him in there, see what he's got, and have him replace Kaiser White. Uh, that didn't happen. Now, having said that, I always remind everyone that we overrate how much rookies are going to help a team. It's really freaking hard to come in in your first year and play really well. And so by all accounts, this offseason, I mean, they're putting it all on his plate. You mentioned it. He's got the green dot in a new offense. Like there, there's a trust factor there. He's taking the first team reps uh, in the spring. And so there are signs pointing to him, um, you know, encouraging signs, as encouraging as you can get in the spring that he's going to be the guy. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the what you brought up about him being undersized because this is such an interesting conversation in like the year 2023. Like what yeah. is the proper size for an off ball linebacker? Like I was looking at some of the numbers and let me throw some of them at you. So Nicobe Dean weighed in at 229 coming in to the league. If I told you there were 41 linebackers with at least a hundred tackles last year, how many of them do you think were 230 or under? So 41 off ball linebackers 
with at least 100 tackles last year. How many do you think were? And this is just, you know, whatever weights are listed online. I, I can't go and physically weigh these guys, although that would right. probably be. That's what I was wondering. Are we, are we using true media here and using their combine weight? Are we using pro football reference? Are we using I was using pro football teams? reference. Okay. Is that wrong? Yeah, that might be. No, no, no. But, it's not, it's yeah, not necessarily okay, wrong. Yeah. It's, just, it's just it's me you helping me contact. figure out which weights get listed. Okay. I'm going to guess, because like the Eagles had TJ Edwards listed last year at like two, I want to say they have him listed like 243, and there's just simply no chance he was playing at that. Uh, so like the weights are tough to try. I'm going to guess like seven. Ten. Good guess. Ah, yeah. okay. I feel good yeah, about that. Not bad. So there were 32 of them were 240 or under, and 10 of them out of 41 were 230 mm-hmm. or under. So uh, just finishing up on Dean, like, when you look at his game, his skill set, you studied him coming out of college. Like, did you watch him in college? And we're like, I'm watching an undersized player. Like, what does he need to do to overcome yeah. uh, in 2023? <clears throat> what maybe some of those uh, limitations would be at that weight in this? Yeah. Game? No. So when you watch Dean at Georgia, he's uh, he's playing around 230. And that's an appropriate size for a linebacker playing at the college level. It's appropriate weight, I should say. Uh, and he's flying around and he's physical and he's hitting folks and he can play. Uh, I have not too much concerns with Nicobe Dean's stopping power, right? His his his, his uh, mass and his size and his ability to come into contact, right? When I say Nicobe Dean's undersized, I'm talking about uh, height, right? He is five mm. eleven, and I'm talking about length, right? He has thirty one and seven eighth inch arms. In the mock draftable combine database, that's fifth percentile for height, and that's thirty fourth percentile for arm length, twenty fifth percentile for wingspan. Uh, if you look at a lot of these linebackers that have recently succeeded, uh, especially in too high defenses, we're talking about guys who are highly impactful against the pass, and that's often because they have good length. Fred Warner, 6'3", Shaq Leonard, 6'2", Tremaine Edmonds, 6'4". I don't have the arm lengths in front of me, but these guys have some range to them. They have some reach, right? Uh, really, when you go and you look at modern linebackers who are succeeding with more of Nakobe's build, a little bit squattier, a little bit uh, uh, lacking in length. You're looking at like a Roquan Smith, who Roquan was almost 6'1", 240, right? But he was a little bit squattier, right? He's a little bit of a denser build. You're thinking of like a Demario Davis, right? When Demario Davis came out, or actually Demario Davis, excuse me, Levante David. Uh, Demario Davis has some good size to him, but Levante's yeah. a little bit squattier, six foot 230. Uh, Nakobe Dean's more in that mold, but it's harder to be an impactful player against the pass when you lack length and height, you just occupy less space in your zones, even if you're quick and even if you're smart. Uh, and so I think Nicobe is going to be good at handling blocks and winning, you know, talk about winning with, um, in the trees, right? In the forest, like among the big offensive linemen, I think he's going to be okay. But how much can he impact the passing game at his lower height and with his lower length? Like that's a huge question because guys like Shaq Leonard and Darius, uh, Shaq Leonard and, and Fred Warner, obviously like incredible players. They just have a larger margin for error because they can just fill more space in zone. Whereas Nicobe, margin for error gets thinner in, in pass coverage because he just doesn't occupy as much space. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's how he will be uh, judged. That's how most off-ball linebackers are judged uh, in the modern NFL. All right, mm-hmm. let me get to my intriguing player, Ben. So I did have Dean, you know, in my um, list on my Google Doc I, Doc, I had him number two. I don't know if I was necessarily going in order or not, but I've got your boy, Jordan Davis. I mean, the wide mm-hmm. range of outcomes for Jordan Davis in 2023 could really swing the Eagle season one way or another. I mean, if he comes in and it's just like, wow, this guy has made the second year leap. He's the athletic freak we thought he was going to be. Look at that combination of size and athleticism. Javon Hargrave goes to the 49ers. Uh, Jordan Davis comes in and is just disruptive. 
that, you know, would get fans very excited. Like Dean, I can tell Eagles fans really want to get behind Jordan Davis and they want to see the flashes uh, of Jordan Davis. At the same time, we're talking about a guy who had zero quarterback hits and zero sacks in his rookie season, uh, 107 opportunities to rush the passer. Uh, we're looking at a guy who was fine against the run, but certainly was not a dominant player. He had some flashes for sure before he got injured, but I don't think you would watch him and be like, okay, he stepped in right away and was a great run defender, uh, especially when their run defense improved uh, after he went down and they signed Linville Joseph. So, uh, like I said, wide range of outcomes. I mean, last year, like normally, I think if a number 13 overall pick had the season Davis had last year, the fan base would be a little like kind of irked by it, but it was a great season. They didn't really need Jordan Davis to come in and be good right away. Now, this season could be different if the Eagles have some struggles, uh, if they're struggling to replace Javon Hargrave, if Jalen Carter doesn't come in and play well right away, then if it gets to week seven or eight and the guy still hasn't made an impact, then there's certainly going to be some uh, concern. So, Ben, I'll lay out my, I think, a good season for Jordan Davis. I actually, this is very against brand for me. I actually think it's okay if he's not a great pass rusher this season. And you're just like, that's going to take some time. But I need him to be like, this is a no doubt about it, like dominant level run defender, showing up every week, blowing up plays, the guy you thought you were getting at the very least uh, when you drafted him in the first round. How, how, what are your expectations? How do you view success for Jordan Davis in year two? Yeah, so the thing I would say, you started by talking about that year two leap. And defensive tackle is just not one of the positions where we see guys take big year two leaps. We typically see it come a little bit later in their career, right? Dexter Lawrence didn't take a big step until year three into year four. Quinn Williams didn't take a big step until year three. Drawn Payne wasn't until year five. Vita Vea's first Pro Bowl was in year four. Uh, it's a position where there's a there's a an on ramp, right? Uh, you, you certainly can't have guys who like walk in and are really impactful early. And certainly when you draft Jordan Davis top fifteen, you're hoping for that. But like Lawrence was top twenty pick. Vita Vea was a top fifteen pick. These guys can take a year or two to get off the ground. It's really hard to play defensive tackle in the league it's a really loaded position jeffrey simmons uh who obviously simmons dealt with injury but like year one was pretty quiet year two he started to wake up a little bit and then year three and year four all pro teams pro bowl appearances right so i first thing i would say like i'm not going to be smashing the panic button if jordan davis isn't an insanely dominant force in year two i think we typically see defensive tackles take a little bit longer than that with that said i like what i saw from davis in year one I very easily see how he can build upon it in year two, especially not having to play on the bum ankle as he did for the second half of the season and kind of falling out of the rotation during his absence. Uh, I think you saw stretches of extremely elite run defense, and then you see him lose to leverage a little bit. He probably should shed a few pounds to solve that problem. And as the stretches of elite run defense become longer and the issues with leverage, pad level, getting off balance become less and less frequent, he's on the field more. And when he's on the field more, he's going to start putting together what he's going to be as a pass rusher at the NFL level. It's really hard to rush the passer from the nose, right? Like Dexter Lawrence is like the only guy this year who was like a legitimately impactful down-over-down pass rusher while playing nose tackle. It's something that I think you figure out after playing for a while and having a ton of reps. How are you going to push the pocket? How are you going to set up other defensive tackles? They're obviously, they have a defensive coordinator change. They're losing Javon Hargrave, like... The unsteadiness is there that, like, if Davis has five sacks on the season, sick. He's got, like, 15 quarterback hits. That's awesome. I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibilities because he's an insane athlete. But that's not my measuring stick for him yet. My measuring stick for him is, are you doing your job on first and 10 to put the defense in a position where they're they're facing a third and eight 
such that the real pass rushers, Hassan Reddick, Fletcher Cox, Milton Williams, uh, Jalen Carter, Josh Sweat, like those guys can go eat. And then you'll figure out how to get your pass rush together when you figure out how to get your pass rush together. Win the downs, win, win the rundowns, win those early downs, win those double teams, make the defense go. And I thought he, he was doing that early in the season. It was There was hot and cold moments. There were good games and bad games. But I thought he was doing that. And I think he can continue doing that, even if the numbers don't reflect the sort of like high tier stats stat sheet stuffing player you might expect to pick with a top 15 selection yeah in training camp you want to uh like you mentioned the weight i think he's talked about that they want him to cut a little bit of weight you want that to be a positive Mm -hmm. storyline you want coaches to be going out of their way to say oh the light bulb's gone on for jordan davis and really you want him to be healthy uh in training camp you don't want any of that progress that you're hoping for uh, to get derailed with a nagging injury or anything like that. So Jordan Davis and N'Kobe Dean, two very intriguing Eagles as we look ahead to training camp. Remember, you can catch this segment on FanDuel TV and listen to the Ooh. Ringers Philly special on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Ben and I will be back after the break to run through uh, some more Eagles that we find intriguing going into camp. Baseball season is in full swing, and there's no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's right, up to $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash Ringer Philly to join today. Me personally, I like the Cincinnati Reds 10-1 to to win the NL Central. You got Eli, De La Cruz. Running wild in his rookie season. I mean, he's on fire right now. I look at the Cincinnati Reds at 10 to 1. That looks like a bargain to me. So don't miss your chance to snag. No sweat first bet up to $2,500 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash Ringer Philly to sign up. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Must be 21 and up in President Select States. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit ringer.com slash rg first online real money wager only ten dollars deposit required refund is issued as non-withdrawable bonus best that expire in 14 days restrictions apply see full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook we're back on the ringers philly special but i feel like we need to give the people like a little peek behind the curtain of about how like this podcast you know because usually i feel like we like to start with a little more nonsense but we're doing these fanduel tv segments which you can watch on the Spotify app or on FanDuel TV. And Watch so, it on Hulu. I found it on Hulu the other day. I was like, that's there me. There you go. <laughs> on Hulu. So those have to be like a certain amount of time. What I think Ben and I both like about podcasts is we could just ramble for as long as we want. And yeah, there are some time <laughs> restrictions that come into play, but no one's really going to yell at us. TV is much more structured. It's like, no, we only have this much time for your show. Uh, so it has to be this long. So that's why I kind of started the podcast and we get... Uh, right into it. But now we can catch up, Ben. We haven't talked to each other for weeks for the first time in like 10 months. Uh, how have you yeah. been? Have you had any like withdrawal symptoms? I, you know, uh, from not having me like yelling at you a couple times a week, how, how have you been? I forgot how much your voice makes you smile, man. It's your happy guy. <laughs> you got a cheerful voice. It made me glad to hear you again. No, it was good. I, um, I always forget, man, when I, 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 I don't, I'm not good at taking vacations. I'm not a very good recreator. Like I was off the last couple of weeks uh, working at a, at a camp down in, in, in Phoenix, Arizona. It's a college access and, and preparedness camp. And it's just like I like to do things and uh, that was what feels good to me. But then coming back to work, man, like, oh, it's so much easier when the train's chugging to keep the train chugging. 
as opposed yeah. to having to restart the train. And I was just like, football? DeAndre Hopkins? Stephon Diggs? I don't know. Who who are these folks? Who do they play for? What's the situation? <laughs> I don't remember anybody's anybody's contract. I don't remember any money and who get this. Recently extended trade rumors. I don't speak this language anymore. You got to get back on the horse. So it was nice to be off. It was not nice to be in 100 degree weather, but it was nice to be off. And now getting back into it, like we, we, you, uh, you, me, and Cliff hit up, hit up the, the, the group chat, and we're like, all right, we got to record for FanDuel TV. And I literally said, like, <laughs> what do we have to talk about? Like, what is happening right now in June for the Philadelphia Eagles? See, I'm gonna. I have like all all the different jobs I've had. Like, you know, at Burt's twenty four seven with Tim McManus. It was just like, no, we're writing something literally every day of the year. Like, if this site doesn't succeed, we don't have jobs. So you just get uh, into that routine. And this has been different. I agree with you. When you get, and this is probably anyone for any line of work, but I found uh, at the rigor where I'm writing less and podcasting more. Like when I have when I'm writing. It takes me so much longer. I'm like, how? Wait, how do I do yeah. this again? What, what? And I'm not, you know, I am not a great writer. I'm just trying to put something on paper that <laughs> to get my analysis out there. I'm not like, you know, every word like, is this the right adjective? I'm not that kind of writer. I'm like, listen, it's not. Nothing's going to be perfect. Uh, do your best and move on to the next thing. And oh, even then, I'm envious. I'm very envious of that. Of that you, of having you, that mindset. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, that's how I. I feel like you write so many things. Like, it's not like you. You're not mailing it in, but I feel like you know. As long as the audience is like, okay, I understand this. I'm entertained by this. I'm glad I spent my uh, five minutes with this article. That's like my level. I'm like, I don't need to be winning any awards uh, with this thing. But yeah, it's funny when you get out of a habit, uh, how hard it is to do when you get back in. I have a question. Cliff, get in here. Let, let, let's jump into this. I have a nonsense question that we've kicked around uh, in the Kapadia household that I want to get uh, your guys' take on. So uh, last weekend, uh, my sister-in-law was in town we were ordering pizza and like i saw it was a place we've ordered from before we usually get the large but i was like well we have an extra person you know pizza never goes to waste right it's great to have that the next day for lunch so i'm getting i'm gonna get this thing it's called like the jumbo shows up at our door i mean it was hard to get this thing in the door like this was the (laughs) biggest pizza box uh i've ever seen it was fine we ate it it was great but then we had like massive amounts of leftovers. So it's like, all right, you know what? This isn't a put it in the fridge and eat it tomorrow situation. This is like, we actually have to freeze this because we're not going to be able to eat all this wow. pizza. Then the next couple of days, you get the air fryer. You can warm up the you know frozen pizza easily. It tastes great. But here's my question. The slices were so big that they did not fit in like a, you know, like a big Ziploc bag. So I had to... You got a pizza where the slices <laughs> could not fit in a gallon-sized Ziploc no, bag? No, these are monster slices. So, Did I you accidentally to... order like one of those eating challenges? <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> it was monstrous. Uh, speaking of which, this is making me kind of hungry. But anyway, uh, so I had to cut these slices in half. Now, not half in terms of I have a slice and I'm cutting it down the middle and both slices look the same. You know what I'm saying? I had to cut it like in the middle of a slice horizontally so that the top, you, you know, you have a you have a triangle and then you have the crust piece. You know what I'm saying? Because the yes. cut part's important. Cliff, you that got it, me? You know what I'm saying? That upsets me, part? but yes. I got you. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So here's my here's my question, because this was a big point of controversy in the Kapati household. So when I cut the slice like that, and I refer to the top and the bottom, which part is the top and which part oh my is goodness. the bottom? This is the, and, and for those, I know there's not going to be many of you, but some of you who have been so nice to me and loyal to me over the years, 
You'll remember that I, when I first joined Twitter, this has been fun, not even been born. Uh, I had a French bread uh, pizza take that was as controversial as this one. So if you feel like I'm repeating content like 10 years later, you're right about that. All right. Either of you, Cliff, Cliff, you look like you might be more sure about this. Ben is Googling something. I have no idea. What's what French Googling bread pizza? <laughs> okay. All right. So first French bread, whatever. Whoa. Uh, all right. So which is the top and which is the bottom uh, of the slice of pizza when you cut it in half horizontally, not vertically? It's got to be the crust, right? Isn't, the, isn't anything with the crust involved the, the top of the pizza? Okay. He's no, I, I completely disagree. I what? think the tip is the top. The Come tip on. is the top because that's How? listen, listen, listen. That doesn't make okay. sense. So, okay, let's slow down. Sorry, for, real quick. I want it to be known. I refuse to have any sort of emotional investment or stakes in this at all. I disagree. I think the other side is the top. But I, I, I as somebody who gets fired up over a lot of stuff, I refuse to get fired up over this. This is a ludicrous question. But wait, the thing you start eating from is the top. You wouldn't start eating from the bottom. Listen, no, uh, that, no, wait, wait, wait. No, Actually, okay. No, Why are no. you calling it the top and the bottom, Shield? It's your fault. Call it inside and outside. Uh, well, no. You've already sided with me, Ben. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so you cannot take it back. Cliff uh, sided with the smarter person in the family, uh, my wife. Although, Cliff, you're against uh, Naya, the oldest daughter, who was on my side. And then Leela, the younger daughter, uh, who refused to answer and said both, which I don't even know what that means. How could it be both? It doesn't make any sense. I'm with Ben. I think at the top of the slice is the part that I'm eating first, you know? And that would be the, the triangle piece uh, at the top. My wife, my sister-in-law was like, how is this even a conversation? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's, of course, the part with the crust. So they're with you, Cliff. Shout, shout out to your wife and shout out to the younger one. Those are <laughs> those are now my two favorite companies. This Big is, up, Leela. And, yo, I was going to say, and your and your sister-in-law because this is absolutely insanity I, I how are you even talking about this ben i know you're not trying to get riled up about this but this is just crazy to me it the crust is when has top. ben not gotten riled up about something by yeah, the way. Like that the that's what i'm saying Sorry. i'm like if i get riled about this there's just no standard anymore i gotta draw a line somewhere where has there ever been a standard on this this is podcast 101 there are no standards we just go <laughs> I just I think top bottom is the incorrect dichotomy. It should be That's inside outside. True. Yeah. What do you mean inside outside? I was about outside? to say I don't understand that one either. Can you explain that? I don't even know what that means. Yeah, what are you talking about? I'm talking about when this you cut the piece bone, in half. Man. Like this is this is a slice of pizza. Yes. Yeah. There's a that's there's a, a piece zone. that's clearly the inner piece and a piece that like you do like edge center, you do inside outside, but like that's gonna that's solve the your top bottom. Oh, thing I've ever heard. No. Oh my god. You're that's out of your wild. mind. No. That's ridiculous. No. All right. No. Okay. What? All right. Corner piece, uh, corner piece and crust piece? Is that does that work for us? Corner piece I is don't only know. If you I just got like the, little, of, the grandma slice thingy going on, right? Right, that's true. Yeah, yeah, Corner piece on square pizza. That is a problem. Cliff, I can we, I know sometimes you ask me, like, do I want anything cut from the show? Like if I had a good eagle steak or something, I think we might have to cut this and see what the people think about yeah, it. You know, we, I'll we post do. it on Instagram we, we or do. Twitter, maybe get a little poll going and see uh, what the consensus is. I have a feeling I'm going to lose this one, but I still feel strongly about I'm it. That I'm right. No, okay. I say you guys are solve this. the problem and <laughs> order two this. mediums next we'll, time. We'll let, we'll oh, let no. the public decide. <laughs> All right, well, look at Shield. Shield legitimately just left the yeah, call. I think it's Shield internet. said, let's cut. <laughs> Shield said, we got, let's cut this for the pod. We need to hear what people say. I'm probably going to lose this, but it's fine. And then just immediately dropped out of the Zoom call. <laughs> well, well, okay. well. Look who it is. <laughs> All right.
<laughs> all right, all right, we can move on now. I'll do a three. Just two, one. dropping highly controversial pizza labeling snafus in the Zoom call and then dipping out. All right, I just got like kicked off my internet. I don't know if that's my uh, wife or somebody else in the family uh, trying to just you know like cut my mic off. But all right, that was that was some good uh, nonsense. We're gonna get the people's take. Uh, what do we use for a hashtag Ringer Philly? So either you can respond with Ringer Philly for your take if you feel strongly about this, or uh, we'll get a poll going. Or something else. All right, Ben. Let's finish off the Eagles segment. Any other? Was was Jordan Davis one of your top three most intriguing? Did you come up with three? Were you just you know playing it by ear? Jordan Davis was not one of my top three. Oh, he wasn't. I'm, oh my gosh. Because I'm go confident that he's good. All right. And accordingly, okay. there's nothing that intrigues me. I don't know how you're uh, confident of that already, but okay. All right. So who is your next mm-hmm. most intriguing Eagle uh, for training camp? So I. Uh, smack talked, uh, including rookies, because all rookies are intriguing at the top. And I'm going to kind of talk out of both sides of my mouth. Uh, Tyler Steen slash Cam Jurgens, generally just like wow. right guard conversation. Honestly, it's I'm probably glad more. You, I'm glad you didn't do that for the FanDuel TV. Uh, yeah, no, I know. I'm glad you saved that. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I'm going to keep the red meat. But honestly, now that I think about it, it's probably more Cam Jurgens and less Tyler Steen. Just because Jurgens is the is the guy who's earlier drafted and has been here longer, um, but the Eagles have to figure out the right guard situation on the offensive line. It's pretty much the only question mark that's significant, in my opinion, offensively. Yeah. Like you can argue wide receiver three. I'm not really deeply moved by that. And then running back is certainly like up in the air. But I don't believe that anyone from the running back group can be bad enough or good enough to really like warrant significant intrigue you know like i like i don't think like, rashad curi- penny healthy rashad I'm, penny right. could be pretty exciting i'm curious to see what rashad penny looks like yeah but yeah. in terms of like intriguing players like kenny gainwell only intrigues me up to the naeem hines point and then i'm like all right i don't really think you're going to be much more than this uh cam jurgens is the guy who uh jason kelsey you know talked about liking his film before they drafted him and was excited that they did. And then he backs up center and they get some six offensive line looks and they have this right guard opening. And it feels unquestionably like, okay, the interior offensive lineman that you took last season in the second round should be the guy that you get into this spot. But lo and behold, they spend that early third round pick on Tyler Steen out of Alabama. A guy who played tackle as a potential guard convert. And like, this is a archetype of player that, Jeff Stalin has successfully worked with in the past in terms of this guard tackle swing guy and getting a guy who's tackle size and having him succeed at guard. And that's certainly not Jurgens. Jurgens, who's under 6'3, who's 303 pounds, who's above, or excuse me, below average in terms of arm length, right? 33 inch arms. Like, this is just, like, he's he's got a guard body for some other offenses, but it's not the size of a guard body that we typically see in a Jeff Stoutland offense. Uh, and, and, like you brought up Jordan Davis and like what role is he going to have in year two? We talked about Nicobe Dean. What role is he going to have in year two? I think both those guys are going to have significant roles on the defense. I think there's a world where Cam Jurgens just does not play again in year two. And that's like a near top 50 pick who just doesn't play for the first two seasons. It would be really nice and neat and comfortable for the Eagles if Jurgens could just win the right guard spot. And I'm very interested to see what he looks like at guard and very interested to see what he just looks like overall because we haven't really seen that many reps out of him. It lets Tyler Steen be a backup swing player, which I think he's much more so built for and accustomed to. It lets him be a potential backup tackle, which I think is really important for this Eagles team. Just no Andre Dillard anymore. So besides Jack Driscoll, they don't have much tackle depth. Like It would be really nice if Jurgens could win this job. 
I'm not convinced that he will. And so that's, that's Jurgens. Absolutely. Yeah. It's more Jurgens than Steen is the player that I'm watching in terms of that right guard battle coming into training camp. Yeah. Offensively, like I'm doing, I do this exercise this time of year, uh, every year where I'm just going team by team doing kind of my own like individual write up so that I'm ready. Uh, once we get into training camp and stuff and you know, you look at what returning starters are there for each team on offense and defense. And it's like, they've got nine of 11 starters back on a, like, you know, one of the best offenses in franchise history uh, for the Eagles. And they have a lot of young players. Like a lot of times that happens and you kind of get tricked because it's all right. Well, you know, they had guys in their thirties. I mean, Jalen Hurts, AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard. These guys are all in their early to mid uh, 20s here where they should be able to sustain or even ascend at this stage in their career. So Eagles are in good shape offensively. You're right. If you're looking at spots, you kind of just need competency from right guard. I don't know who it's going to be. I'm with you. You know, it'll be fun to watch in training camp. Like, is there a day where it's all of us? Oh, Tyler Steen is with the first team today. Oh, Jeff's, you know, Jeff, Jeff's Dallin Suckers. I, I don't think he'll be shy if he sees something he likes. Um, You know, Isaac yeah. Sayamalo, you can draw that comp right to Cam Jurgens, where they thought he was the guy of the Super Bowl season. Uh, And then, you know, all of a sudden after that Chiefs game, it's like, all right, we got to go in a different direction. So I think you have to establish some level of competency. I think it's a good spot to be in on that offensive line. You're, you're playing between Kelsey and Lane Johnson. And this is obviously someone uh, that they liked when they drafted him. So, uh, yeah, that is a good one. We'll, we'll see what happens with Jurgens and Tyler Steen. All right, for my last intriguing player for training camp, I'm going with Jalen Carter. By the way, I shouldn't say training camp. I should basically say from now until week one. Yeah, because, at all times uh, intriguing. Yeah, especially, I mean, this is the, you know, I, I was at that last practice before they sent everyone off and the message was stay in shape and stay out of trouble from Nick Sirianni. Like you, you could hear him in the middle of the field uh, telling this to the players. And with Jalen Carter, that's going to be part of the story. We know that's part of the reason uh, why he slipped there in the draft, why some teams had him off their draft board, like if there's one guy, one Eagle whose name, I mean, there's a lot of, you don't want to see any Eagle's name pop up in a headline from now until training camp, but obviously uh, Jalen Carter would be a big one. So he's someone you want to quiet next four to five weeks. You want that first, like, you know, the conditioning test or whatever. And then that first Sirianni press conference, him saying, I'll tell you who came back in great shape, Jalen Carter. We gave him goals. Yeah, when he left and man, he came back and he nailed all of them. He looks ready to go. Uh, really impressed with the way he looks and the way he was in that conditioning test or or whatever, what kind of shape he's in. So you want that. There's a chance this is a great environment for Carter and that you got the most talented player in the draft and he's the defensive rookie of the year and he just takes this defense uh, to another level, like I mentioned, replacing especially that pass rush from Javon Hargrave. I mean, that would be an unbelievable outcome for this Eagles team. And then there's the other aspect of it. I mean, it's a high risk, high reward pick where he's having issues. It's not there for him in year one. You know, some of the risks that he brought with him coming into the league uh, show up in year one and he doesn't really uh, contribute much. So uh, he's just going to be fun to watch this summer, assuming he's good, assuming he's healthy in those joint practices uh, that they're going to have against the Browns and the Colts. What does he look like there? What does he look like in the preseason when he's getting uh, some game reps? So kind of like Jordan, I would even say more so than Jordan Davis, the outcomes for Jalen Carter are even wider because Davis, it's really all like on the field level of play, seems to have great intangibles, work ethic, uh, well-liked, all that. With Jalen Carter, there's just, I think, a higher ceiling, 
but also uh, a lower floor. So we'll see what he looks like, what the stories are on him uh, in July and August. Yeah, Carter, like, Carter's probably the player I'm most excited to see in training camp, just in terms of, like, he looks incredible. And he's going to walk into an NFL field and just start beating some NFL players at a very high level, and it's going to be really exciting to watch. Like, that, and to that aspect, he's very intriguing. And then, obviously, the off-field aspect adds to it. Definitely, like, if I were making an honest top three, he's probably in there, but I figured you were going to have Jalen Carter, and there's other positions that that are intriguing. But, it like... If I'm at the first Eagles training camp practice, the guy I'm going to be looking for is going to be 98. Like, that's just, you just want to see him. You want to see the top 10 pick. Could have been the number one overall pick defensive tackle out there moving sleds and and hitting bodies and just kind of seeing what it looks like. Yeah, Cliff was uh, very excited when you were away. There was a story, I think, that Jalen Carter broke a sled or something that hit. Cliff was ready for week one. uh, We love to break a sled. If I, if I were the Eagles, one. if I were the head of Eagles PR, we draft the defensive tackle. The first thing I'm doing is I'm finding a sled. I'm breaking that thing 99% of the way, right? I'm like putting some like fake wood glue, you know, something, whatever. And then I'm putting that jaw right in front of Jalen Carter. Like, yeah, hit this for the camera for me real quick. Just, I just want to That's see something. pretty smart. Yeah, you would have a future in PR. Yeah, when the cameras are allowed to be on, do it, do it then. Uh, right, Cliff, that had you uh, very fired up. I know when you uh, when you read that story. It didn't have me fired up. It had all of Philadelphia fired up. You got to remember, I'm tapped in. I'm tapped. I'm tapped into the city. I'm tapped into everyone around the city. Everybody hits me up whenever there's some type of sports dilemma or something going on. And the first thing that somebody hit me up about about the Eagles after you know since you know the draft was that these guys were destroying sleds, and I'm just like, all right, man, like this is just peak off season. Nothing to see here. Let me just keep the ball rolling. Let me ignore this text. And let me see, uh, you know, what the Phillies record is today or who they're playing today. That's kind of how I looked at it. I wasn't excited. Quite frankly, I didn't really care. But I want to see Jalen Carter, like you guys said. I want to see him do some crazy stuff on the field. And I think that's a promising sign that he is breaking metal sleds. So there's a big level of I don't care. But there's also a big level of, oh, he broke his sled in training camp. That is, that's intriguing a little bit. Yeah. So. As far as style, like style of play goes for defensive tackles, Jalen Carter just hits every note for my personal like taste. Where you can just like the, the highlight, the potential highlight reel of this guy tossing a guard on one play and then knifing through the guard in the center uh, on the next play. Uh, it's just like yeah, I, I I am excited to watch him if he ends up hitting. All right, Ben, finish us off. What do you have for your? Who do you have for your final? Uh, players at the punter is it uh kind of i unironically consider doing aaron sipos and just being like listen there were some bad moments last year <laughs> ty zentner is in the building love a ty zentner this is a curious curious battle here now um reed blankenship i'm, I'm interested to see what this mm, looks like all right. you just nicobe dean is kind of destined for a starting role because of the veterans in front of him that departed but that feels good because he felt like it was a steal at 83 three or wherever he was drafted 84 uh and, he, and he's george bulldog and uh Nicobe dean at sick reed blankenship it was uh, same same draft class right got into some starting job i uh, got got some starting reps last season and now is destined for a starting role because of the veterans before him that have left johnson garner johnson and marcus epps you don't hear as much about that one because it's reed blankenship it's an undrafted free agent ten, uh middle tennessee state blue raider is it Blue Raiders or is it just Raiders in Middle Tennessee State? Anyway. You know you're asking the wrong guy. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, UDFA, who was just kind of all right, he'd be a training camp guy, whatever. He had some draft hype a couple years ago, but he stayed in school and like he's the son of the coach. Like, what are we doing here? And then he played all right. And now they're at a point where it's going to be his job to lose that starting free safety job. We talked about this a little bit after they drafted Sidney Brown and how do they envision using a Sidney Brown? You could talk yourself in him as a free safety. I see him more as a as a strong safety type. And with him, plus Terrell Edmonds, plus Kayvon Wallace as the rest of the safety room, like there's not a lot of strong competition for free safety, in my opinion. Uh, it would be really, really nice in training camp if Reed could be making impact plays from the roof and if Reed could step down, have to cover a tight end and do it well. It'd be nice if Reed were making some splashes because he's going to be playing that safety position and... It's one of the few potential weaknesses on this team after the departure of Epps and the departure of Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. All they did was bring in Edmonds and, and sign Sidney Brown, or draft Sidney Brown, excuse me, who I don't super love Sidney Brown, and I certainly think if he's going to be an impact player, he's going to be close to the line of scrimmage. Uh, and so to me, like, Reed's going to have a role. And so I'm very interested to see what he looks like coming out of camp and hoping for like good news. Cause otherwise the Eagles might be a little bit hampered on free safety play. And I did not enjoy the Anthony Harris experience. I didn't love that. And I would not like to have to do it again. See, I kind of disagree with your sort of framing of the Dean versus blanket chip, like expectations, like, like Blankenship played nearly 300 snaps last year. Yeah, he played well. Four, yeah. four games and played well. Like we have, I'm not saying, you know, he's going to be an all pro, but like we've sort of have an established level of competence over those 300 snaps. Whereas we don't really have that with Dean. Now there's more data, obviously. Yes, Dean was a much more prolific college player on a, at a big time school against big uh, competition and was drafted higher. There's no doubt. But if you ask me like confidence level that Blankenship's going to be competent, versus competent confidence level that Dean's going to be competent this year. Like, I don't know that there would be like a huge gap in my mind. No, I, I, I completely agree with that. No, I didn't okay. include that aspect in the comparison because I think if you ask, right, who do you think is going to be more competent? I think that, that right. It's tough to find a, a major gap. I think if you pulled Eagles fans right now, who are you more excited to see next season to Kobe yeah, Dean no Blankenship? Doubt. You're getting a 95 to five yeah. split on that one, Maybe brother. Higher. Um, yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> to me, it's just like, if the Eagles had drafted Reed in like the fourth round, not like yeah. as a UDFA, I think you'd be hearing a lot of like, you know, the Eagles might have a starter out of Reed Blankenship. And more since he was a UDFA and the defense was great last season and whatever, she's kind of like, yep, yeah, and Reed Blankenship's back there and cool. Like that's he's played well last season, whatever. I don't think you're going to get like a high impact player out of him, but if they're locking down one of the starting safety spots, if he is a starting caliber safety, middle of the road, free safety in the league, as a UDFA, like that's enormous because it just is, period. But from a larger scale, from like a stepping back and uh, on a larger scope, that's exactly what the Eagles need to be able to do in the era of Jalen Hurts being on his second extension, or on on his first extension, on his second contract. You have to be able to get, even if it's middle tier starters, average starters, you have to be able to get those caliber of players out of late round draft picks and UDFAs. So if they hit on Reed and it solves their safety position for the next you know, two years that he's under contract and then the three years after when he signs a middling deal, it's just one less gap you're going to have to plug when you're in this scrambling mode of having this this massive quarterback contract. Good on mm -hmm. them. I don't think I've told this story before, but I, I remembered it when I heard, uh, when, as we talked about Reed Blankenship. So, Ben, how did you spend the uh, Saturday night before the Super Bowl in Phoenix? Were you, you were, you were hanging with some ringer friends or out and about, or I don't, I don't know if you remember what you did, uh, or not. 
that night. Just, just, but that's just a lead in uh, to my story. What so did I do? Like, do you remember I what I did? No, I, no, I have okay. no idea. Like I'm just, I, I'm just asking because my story is about what I did. So I would, you know, that I was told, all right, Shield, you're going to write something on the Eagles, win or lose after the Super Bowl. So like during the week, I'm interviewing players and coaches, trying to get something that I can have. Uh, for that piece after the the Super Bowl and hopefully something that other people don't have. And so uh, the access at the Super Bowl is great, actually. All the players are in like this big ballroom. All the coaches are in this big ballroom. And you can just go up to a table and introduce yourself and ask them questions. And so uh, the reason I remember Reed Blankenship here is that Zach McPherson told, you know, told me that Nick Sirianni showed the team on, I think that Wednesday before the Super Bowl, a clip from the movie Focus. Have you have you seen that movie, Ben? I, I doubt yeah. you've seen that. Yeah, you have that, seen that movie. Will, Will Smith Will is Smith. stealing stuff. Yeah, yeah, wow, nice job. Okay, wow, what a pop, yeah. pop culture, Ben. Oh, okay, let's see. Okay. I have a receipt. I was at. <laughs> I got chicken wings somewhere. <laughs> no, wait, no. This is a different saved receipt from somebody else. Where are you looking right now? Do you have all your receipts in like a receipts in a drawer? I'm looking at my photos for February 11th. Oh, okay, gotcha. You're looking at your photos. So, oh yes, I went out with 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 some friends. Uh, The 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 guy whose camp I work at in Phoenix. I went out with him and a a bunch of our buddies and guys who work there. And yes, and we got chicken wings and I got bone marrow steak thing and it was really really good. Um, and it was nice to see friends and not do football things. That's what I did, which I know is not the point of the story, but it was just bothering me. I couldn't remember. That's what you did. So I, I, so I, so they're telling me that you know Zach McPherson saying, yeah, we watched a clip from this movie Focus, and here was Sirianni's message, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then, then so I'm asking the other players, and they're telling me, well, yeah, once he showed us a clip of this, and once he showed us a clip of this, and so uh, they're telling me all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, I haven't seen anyone mention that. You know, Nick Sirianni uh, showed showed the uh, team a, a clip from the movie focus so maybe that you know it's not going to be the whole story but that's a nice lead-in you know you want to do something different so i remember reed blankenship because he was telling me about that too so saturday before the super bowl like i was like what am i gonna write tomorrow win or lose and i'm like do i need to like watch this movie focus like they had all explained to me the significance of the clip but i'm like all right i get it but i should probably know what the movie's about so i'm texting my friends uh, friend Lemur, listener of the show, is coming. Oh yeah, I've seen that movie. He just starts watching it. I download it from Amazon Prime. I start watching, watching these clips from the movie Focus in my hotel room on the Saturday night before the Super Bowl, so that I would have some context to write about this uh, in my post game story if I needed to. And so how was the I, movie? Well, give us your review out of ten. Stars. I don't. I I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched it okay. through the clips that I knew Sirianni showed uh, to the team. I think it was a it was a movie where like the first half of the movie. Was was actually really good and entertaining and then it kind of uh, fell apart but uh, right. i was entertained i was entertained by it when i I'll, I'll watch I watched. any movie of a guy stealing stuff that's yeah. nothing better than a, than a crime movie oh, just yeah, elite no. elite category yeah. of movies yeah no i thought uh it was fine so uh, anyway that's what i thought of when i uh when i heard reed blankenship there i was thinking back to that story. So I shoehorned that little anecdote into the post game thing, but it didn't really fit when the, you know, the type of game that they played there, but I'll always remember focus for that. All right. We're going to come back and do a segment with Raheem Palmer talking Phillies and Sixers. Benjamin, I'm going to be off the next little bit. So we'll have another uh, break from each other and then it'll be like time to get going. Training camp will be yeah, right have, around has the corner. Your, has, your, uh, has your manager here at the Ringer hit you up yet about the NFL pitch brainstorm ideas for training camp tour meeting yet? 
Oh boy, no. That's no that's told- that's that's when the bell starts to toll. So they're like, yeah, just start to think about pitches for the training camp cycle, and you're like the one in August, and they're like, yeah, and you're like, oh no, no, August <laughs> no. doesn't exist. Actually, August yeah. isn't going to happen ever. That's right. I have not. Uh, I have not uh, thought about that yeah do you have anything to pray you pray i mean you're you're just easing back in you don't have i was gonna ask you do you have anything else to promote but i don't know it's june middle of june yeah. you know steven and i have the new off-season show we're doing at the ringer okay. on the ringer nfl feed so you should go check that out where we're basically just like we we asked the ringer we're like can we nerd out on a bunch of stuff and they were like <laughs> no and then we did that for like 24 months and they're like all right fine uh and so <laughs> we're uh we're doing an off-season show it comes out once a week on fridays and it's just we're we're asking weird questions and tough questions and big questions and trying to figure out the NFL as best we can. It's been a lot of fun so far. Uh, so last week's episode was why isn't every single pass play action? This week's episode is why it's impossible to rank all the top receivers in the NFL, plus also our ranking of the top 10 receivers in the NFL. <laughs> Good show. There you go. There you go. Who knows? Maybe A.J. Brown makes an appearance. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe Devontae Smith makes an appearance. Maybe he doesn't. So check that out from Ben and Ruiz. All right. Ben, I will talk to you uh, in a few weeks, and I'll be back here in a moment with Raheem and Cliff. Welcome back to the Ringers Philly Special Podcast. It's yours truly, Raheem Palmer, a.k.a. the Rostradamus, and we got my main man still in the house. It's going down. What's good, man? It's been a while. I, lo- I love this. It's, it's a role reversal. I'm jumping into the analyst role. I don't have to worry. You know, Cliff, any messages from Cliff, Ryan, that's on you. I'm just going to sit here and uh, spit out takes with whatever Phillies and Sixers topics we're discussing. So I'm looking forward to it. No doubt. No doubt. So we got the Philadelphia Phillies right now. They are 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. They're surging right now. They come off of a series win against the Los Angeles Dodgers. They come off a series win against the Detroit Tigers. They come off a series win against the Washington Nationals. And now, I mean, we put a beat down on the Arizona Diamondbacks last night. Typically, Arizona's a house of horrors for us, but we got it done. I mean, you look at this team, how are you feeling about the Phillies right now going forward? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. Like you mentioned, we're recording this after the second game in that series uh, against the Diamondbacks. You mentioned it, 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. I mean, they've got a few things really going for them that makes me bullish that they're going to turn it around. Number one, Trey Turner's turning it around right now. You know he was going to be better. It was going to happen at some point. So I just feel like the rest of the season, you're going to get the guy uh, you thought you signed in the offseason. Bryce Harper. You know, Harper is really interesting to me, Raheem, because if you look at some of the numbers, the OBP, the average, you say, wow, he's hitting the ball really well. He's not hitting for any power right now. Like that has been the biggest difference. His home run rate, I think, is under 2% for his career. It's up around 4%. And so he came back from that Tommy John surgery. And I love when the great players, like they they know they don't have something that they used to have and they have to adjust and figure it out. Like that's what he's done. He's become like he's getting on base. He's kind of grinding away these at bats. But I want that power from Bryce Harper. And so I feel like, you know, I'm going to give it, another month, whatever. I feel like once July comes around the second half of the season after the All-Star break, you're going to get that power back from Bryce Harper, and that's going to take this lineup uh, to another level as well. So I like those things. Uh, Aaron Nola has not been great this year, but if if you're going by the back of the baseball card thing, uh, I don't love Nola. I, I think we've talked about that uh, offline before. You know, I think there's some players you look at and you can admit they're a good player, but you still don't love the player, you know, and that's kind of where I am uh, with Nola. But I think he'll be better than he has been. Alvarado's back. Ranger Suarez has been really good his last 
uh, three starts. And the last thing I'll say, Raheem, is that I think it was Joe Giglio from WIP put out this stat that in the games where they've had their fifth starter uh, or a bullpen game this year, the Phillies are 2-10. and ten. In all other games, their first four starters, they're seven games over 500. 31 and 24. So uh, I don't have a firm solution of, hey, this is what's going to happen with the fifth starter. I think they could make a move at the deadline, but I feel like that's pretty encouraging where it's like, it can't get any worse uh, that every fifth day for the Phillies. And so uh, I feel I still like them to make the playoffs. um, And I think they're going to be a good entertaining team here going forward. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You know, I was like really low on this team coming into the year and then I was low on them for much of the year. But when you look at what they've done, I mean, obviously, you know, Trey Turner has been struggling. You look at the fact that Bryce Harper, he was injured for quite a while. And, you know, the biggest thing that I mean, you mentioned the the, the power for Bryce Harper, but we've seen a, a team a full team struggle with the power. I mean, this team is 20th in home runs right now. If you look at them in the postseason last year, they got by based on the long ball. I mean, they were first in home runs in the postseason by a large margin. And right now, they're not hitting for any power. Obviously, when you lose a guy like Reese Hopkins, when you lose a guy like Derek Hall, you just don't have a big bulk of your power there. So I do think that will improve over the course of the year. You mentioned it with the fifth starter. I mean, you have we have four starters right now. I mean, and it's just we got to get that fifth guy because it's just it just it just feels like right now we just have four guys who we can trust. And I think if we get that over the second course of the year, we could possibly find ourselves in the same position that we were last year. I mean, I think the big thing about baseball right now is that they added that those extra wild card spots. And I think that that gives the Phillies a chance. We're only two games back for the extra wild card position. And I mean, even though we're seven and a half back of the Braves, I don't know if we're going to catch the Braves, but I think we could easily find ourselves in the wild card spot. We get that extra starter going into the postseason. And I think the Phillies, I mean, they're primed to make a second half run. Yeah, no, they're set up and they have been uh, way more entertaining recently. I mean, you made, I was at that, uh, that, Friday night game against the Dodgers where Schwarber had the walk-off. I mean, that was a great atmosphere. The ballpark was packed. Like, fans are, everyone's ready for this team to kind of go on a run. We've seen it the last 10 games. We'll see now if they keep it going. By the way, uh, Raheem, I, I didn't notice this. I don't know who pointed it out recently, but they've had, like, not not a lot of home games this year. Like, I think they've had the second fewest home games uh, in the National League. And if you kind of look at their splits, They've been way better at home than they have been uh, on the road so far this year. So I think they'll have you know seven or, or eight more uh, home games than road games here uh, the rest of the season. So that is another thing to kind of uh, to kind of keep an eye on. So yeah, I'm feeling good. I was looking at Fangraphs today. They had the uh, the Phillies projected at 84 wins. They had 87 wins last year now that's 84 you're right on that fringe i mean the brewers had 86 wins last year they didn't get in so uh i think that's a fair assessment i think that you know they, they dug themselves a hole that they didn't necessarily need to dig themselves early in the season but i think all the pieces are there uh, for them to, to dig their way out of it so yeah i'm pretty excited about kind of what the summer holds for them we, we spoke on the phillies let's talk about the philadelphia 76ers because we brought in nick nurse last week and I know you guys are excited about it. I know Shill is excited about it because I'm excited about it. So I would I don't excited might be overstating it, Raheem. I don't want to put my name on excited for it. it it's fine. I'm with you. I think we're both it's fine. Let's see what else is happening. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I mean when you look at the fact that the big issue coming up is 
if James Harden is going to stay. I mean, what what do we do if James Harden leaves? Um, there's some guys out there. They did announce that Bradley Bill is on the like they're going to be trading Bradley Bill this summer. However, I just heard some news that the Philadelphia 76ers aren't interested. So what do you do if, you know, James Harden walks? I mean, obviously a guy like, you know, Fred Van Vliet is out there. Is that somebody who you would be interested in? Rahima, the Sixers are getting the word out that like, like, cause they were late, you know, our own very own Bill Simmons, you know, had, had, had good stuff on Bradley Beal uh, in his Sunday pod. And today you're right. Multiple reports um, you know, by like local reporters saying the Sixers aren't going to go that route. So we'll see. You, you never know what's going to happen. But like, I want to ask you, like every smart basketball person, like every smart basketball person uh, I trust or talk to, I can't find anyone who thinks the Sixers trading for Bradley Beal is a good idea. Like usually you have a guy who's like, a, you know what, 22, 23 point per game score. And you'll have, you know, sucks maybe on your group chat or your neighbor or whatever, you know, somebody you talk to is like, you got to add that guy. But I can't find that person. And so um, I know there's reasons for that. The guy has played in, what, 90 games out of 162 over the last two years. He shot. This surprised me, Ray. Man, you, you probably know this because you, you, you dive more into it than I do. Shot 35% or worse from three in four of the last five seasons. Like he has not been the same three-point shooter that early in his career, you look at that basketball reference page. I mean, I think he had a couple seasons over 40%. So you have a high usage player who doesn't get to the line, is fine from three, but not great from three. And then the big thing, do 46.7 million, 50.2 million, 53.7 million over the next three years. And now you're adding the injury stuff in there. Like I can't get there with Bradley Beal being the answer. Uh, I wanted to get your your take, Raheem. What, what are your thoughts? What would your reaction be if they traded for Bradley Beal? Yeah. You know, when they came out today and said the Philadelphia 76ers weren't interested in Bradley Bill, I've never been happier. I mean, this is a guy who's owed almost like a little bit over $200 million over the next four years. He's 30 years old. And we all know about the new CBA issues where, you know, that second apron, it just it puts you basically your hard capped and you can't improve. This guy, I, I love Bradley Bill earlier in his career, but this is not a guy who's good enough to have that Supermax contract at all. So I think if you were to trade for Bradley Bill, I mean, you might as well just <laughs> you might as well just throw away the end of Embiid's pride because I mean, there's just no way that this guy is good enough to take you even past where Harden take took us. I mean, we're probably a, a first or second round exit, you know, for the duration of Embiid's time in Philadelphia, if that. So, and he's always hurt too. I, I think that's yeah, the biggest right. thing. Like he can't stay on the floor. I mean, he played 50 games last year, 40 the year before, 60, 57. He hasn't played 82 games since 2018, 2019. I was still DJing back then. That's a long time <laughs> ago. Like <laughs> I still had hair. No, no, I didn't have hair back then. But you know, I, I, I'm with you and I, I don't know what the obvious move is, honestly. And I wonder like, how's Daryl Morey approaching this? Is he feeling heat? Like I need to, I was brought in here to compliment Joel Embiid and get this team to the next level, and I need to do something now? Or is it a situation, like I always point to Howie Roseman and the Eagles, like one advantage Howie Roseman has is that he's got the ultimate job security. Like he can really make long-term decisions because he knows he's going to be there. He's the owner's right-hand man. A lot of GMs do not have that same job security. So, you know, Fred Van Vliet, like fine. You know, is that going to get them to the next step? Uh, probably not, you know, depending on kind of what the price is. I guess it depends whether you think that would be a good move or not. I'm on record. Uh, I know the argument for bringing James Harden back. 
I just don't want to watch that movie again. I mean, I can't picture like a Tuesday night in November where the Sixers are playing the Orlando Magic and I'm saying I'm going to spend the next two and a half hours in front of the TV because I'm going to want to watch this James Harden, Joel Embiid team. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to get the juice level there. Like once, you know, April rolls around and we're in the playoffs, yeah, I'll I'll get there and I'm not going to talk myself into them uh, with that situation then, but it'll just feel, it'll be hard to watch them in the regular season, like what's going to be different about them. So I don't have the move. Like, you know, I feel like if you just go and bead Maxi and be like, we don't have to rush into something this year. I know that there's an urgency with Embiid turning 30 years old, but if there's not a move to make, like I'm okay rolling with that. You know, maybe you still win 50 games. Maybe you're a fun team. Maybe a young player steps up that you weren't expecting. Like some of those guys uh, on the heat, whatever. Maybe there's a chemistry you find your ceiling might not be as high, but was you know their ceiling? We thought their ceiling was high, and they're out in the second round. So I, I don't know if it matters that much. What about you? Daryl Morey calls you up and says, "Raheem, I've been listening to the Philly special. You guys are killing it. I was following the hundreds. Man, how'd you hit fifty-eight percent of your picks in the playoffs? That's impressive. What do I do? Harden, Beal, Van Vliet. You know, option number four. Like, what do you want them to do? What What do you tell them in that situation? I think the biggest thing is I, I think you do have to resign James Harden. I, I think you I mean that's that's important. Make the case. Just because, make the case. The case is if you try to waste another year of Embiid's prime, he's going to ask for a trade. So it feels like if you don't sign James Harden and you don't keep a competitive roster around him that could possibly win a challenge for a championship, Embiid's out of here. Like, he's not going to sit through this at this point in his career. So I think you kind of have to go all in on this core. Now, I think the move that they have to make is trading Tobias Harris. I mean, he's going to be making, you know, nearly $40 million next year. He's an expiring. I think that's the most lucrative asset that you have. And then also, I mean, in addition, if you sign James Harden, you put yourself in a position to be able to trade the asset later. So... You look at the the new CBA. There's going to be a lot of guys moving. So you just want to be able to have the assets to make a move. So I'll probably sign James Harden if he wants to stay. If he doesn't, then I think you're in an even tougher position. I still think you get rid of Tobias Harris. I think you get rid of his expiring contract with the new CBA. The value is going to increase on the expiring. So you should be able to get a younger player in, you know, and, and, and maybe be able to do some things and, you know, open up some more cap space. Now, the one interesting thing is that Maxi is due for an extension. And I think you're going to have to time that right with whatever other moves you make. I mean, you look at Tyler Hero. He got four years, $120 million. Jordan Poole, four, four years, $128 million. So you know Maxi's extension is coming up soon. So yeah. I think you want to make those other moves. And then I think you want to lock up Maxi. Let, let me follow up on what you said about Harden. And, and I'm in on Maxi. I mean, listen, you, you never know. There's risk with every signing. But he's not scared. He plays with joy. He's improved. I mean, you've already seen him improve. He's young. He gives you something you don't have with his kind of speed. He can score. He can take over a quarter. So I'm in on Matt. I mean, he's probably like the, he has the highest approval rating maybe of any sixer for me uh, right now. But what you said about Harden, I've heard other smart basketball people make this case. And I want to get clarity because I understand the idea of holding on to a player because he's an asset where, hey, if it doesn't work out, you can move him for something else. Raheem, for what you're going to have to pay James Harden, James Harden turns 34 years old in August. Like, are, are we sure that's an asset? Like a year from now, 
you have James Harden on your roster at whatever number, you tell me what you think the number's going to be, and you say, well, it didn't work out. We brought him back for a year, but now we can move him. Our team's like calling you up saying, yeah, we'll give up something of value for James Harden because that's the part I'm kind of puzzled by, especially the type of player he is. Like He's not just going to fit in with any coach with any team where you just plug him in. Like there are going to be teams where like that nah, 34-year-old James Harden and I have to change everything about the way I play for him. I don't want to do that. So explain that part to me. Like, are we sure that that contract is going to be an asset with him? If he's 27, I understand it. At 34, are we sure about that? That is a really good point. And I mean, I think that's that's one, that's un- an unknown at this point because you we don't necessarily know how he's going to age. You know, Doc Rivers mentioned it on, you know, the Bill Simmons podcast yesterday. Um, James Harden didn't finish like he he used to. So that is a concern. And we saw that in the postseason. He struggled to finish. I mean, this was a guy who's basically feast the famine, depending on how well he hits his three-point shot. Now, the question I have for you is, what do you think about just giving the keys to Maxi? And, you know, maybe that helps him, you know, maybe you, you take a step back in the short term, but... You just let Maxi run the show. Maybe that improves his playmaking. Maybe that you know. Maybe maybe he just takes a a, a giant leap with with Hart and going. Honestly, I'm fi- I'm fine with that. Like yeah yeah. I mean I'm not I'm I'm not going to tell you Tyrese Maxi is going to be as good as as efficient as James Harden was last year. I mean there were stretches last year where James Harden was fantastic. If I'm Maury making the case, I'm saying Harden won us two games against the Celtics. We took them to seven. A couple things go our way. We're moving on. You know, he he could make that case. That's why we're bringing him back. So uh, I don't think Maxi is probably not going to reach that level in terms of playmaking, basketball IQ, like James Harden's got all that. But like I said, the guy, I mean, he's 22 years old, Tyrese Maxi. Like, I'm not putting a ceiling uh, on that guy with the way he's improved with what we thought about him as a three-point shooter coming into the league. And look, he shot 43% from three last year. Like, 43% from three. 20 points per game. Again, a guy uh, who is not like, you know, moping around if he's not getting his shots. He's always playing with energy on a team where it feels like, wait, is this a playoff game or is this a preseason game with some of the other guys on the roster? Like, it's never the case with Maxi. So, yeah, I think, like, the thing is, I understand that you got to keep Embiid happy and who knows how you really do that. But, like, at the same time, you're not going to suck next year with Maxi and, and Embiid and whoever else you have with the supporting cast. Like you're probably still going to be a top four seed uh, in the wide open uh, Eastern Conference. And like, you know, who knows? Maybe you have a, a, a season where a couple unknowns step up. Like you said, maybe Maxi steps up. So I would actually be fine with that. I like don't want to get into a mistake this offseason where a year from now we're going, oh my gosh, they did that to uh, appease Embiid and now look where they are. Like I really don't think that's the, the right course of action. You know, that's a really good point. You know, I was listening to the Bill Simmons Doc Doc Rivers podcast. I mean, yeah, you guys should get listen into to that. it if you I think I think the, the interesting thing that Doc Rivers said was that he couldn't get James Harden to necessarily buy in into his style of play because he said he wanted more ball movement. And we all know James Harden likes to play this heliocentric style of basketball where he has the ball in his hands. And Doc Rivers said he actually wanted James to pass a little bit more. He said the first half of the year, James was actually being the perfect player. And in the second half of the year, he was he was just back to his old style. So I wonder if you bring James Harden back, is he willing to even buy into what Nick Nurse has on the table? And I think that is a concern as well. So I'm, I'm starting to get to where you're at, where it's just like we've seen James Harden in the postseason. I mean, his game sevens are just 
it's it's brutal. It's, it's almost like he wants to go home and you know party for Rugs weekend or something. So I am kind of at that point, but I'm just I'm torn with you know in the modern NBA you just never want to lose an asset. So I'm totally torn on that. But I just think the stuff that Doc Rivers said, I think it was very telling on the issues that you could have down the line if you bring Harden back with with Nick Nurse. Yeah, it was an interesting interview uh, because I think you know Bill asked him like, how would you describe your experience? coaching Harden and he goes challenging he didn't I was like who how's he gonna answer this question because we know what Harden said about Doc after the season at the same time Raheem like all right it ended in a terrible way but he actually did I feel like get Harden to adjust the way he played and I actually think Harden like did a good job adjusting like this was the best offense of the Embiid era you know like it ended horribly don't get me wrong but if we zoom out and we look at larger sample which you know we both like data which is the smart way to do like if you look at the larger sample like it actually worked offensively until those last two games, which that's a big until. Don't get me wrong. That's doing a lot of work there. But like I, I thought Doc did a good job of kind of managing the personalities and getting James Harden to play a certain way. And Harden did a good job of realizing this is Embiid's team and we got to get, you know, lean on the big man uh, in more. And it's not me in Houston anymore. So I did think that uh, that answer uh, was pretty interesting with, with kind of what he said about uh, James Harden in that interview. Yeah, actually, you know, I, I think he said a lot of interesting th- things because yeah. he, he mentioned Embiid as well. And, you know, I don't I don't want to put all the blame on James Harden. We all know he didn't play well in Game 7, but he had 40 multiple times in that series. And for him to be the number two, for large parts of that series, he was the best player in that Celtics series. And he won us two games single-handedly. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, he hit, you know, two very clutch three-pointers at the end of Game 1 and, you know, I think it was Game 4. So... To me, we got we need Joel Embiid to step up. And I think one of the things that uh, Doc said that was interesting was that he has to get to the level of Jokic where he makes other guys better. And I'm wondering if James Harden is outside of the picture and you know everything that falls on Embiid and Maxi and maybe Tobias, maybe that puts Joel in a position to where he make he's making other guys better. He be, he's becoming a better passer because we know he struggles with double teams and that net series he had more turnovers than assists i think he had like 15 turnovers like and 10 assists and it's just like that's always been an issue for joel mb and you know joel's game seven performance was just absolutely abysmal so i think some of this has to fall on him as well if he's gonna be the guy he has to step up so i'm just wondering what other guys you can put around joel mb for him to be his best self honestly to me that's the story of the the 2023-24 Sixers is that the honeymoon period for Embiid is over. Like this guy, the fan base had gotten like just so behind him. I mean, he was their guy. Any Jokic talk or other, you know, he got us around Embiid. And like that was, he was like, you know, he, he was like the, the favorite son in Philadelphia sports. But what was it, 5 for 18 in a game seven? Like, I, I think that part is over. I mean, I don't know how hard fans are going to go after him, but I'm with you. Yeah, it's not just Harden. It's not just Doc. Like, Embiid, can you, if you're the MVP, you can't have that game in Game 7 uh, in a big spot. And then for Jokic to do what he did uh, after that for that Nuggets team. I, I heard Doc say that about Embiid, and I thought it was interesting, but it's just like they're different players. You know, like Embiid is never going to 
be it that like like Jokic's greatest skill is probably making the players around him uh, better. You know, you look at their supporting cast. Like it's not the greatest supporting cast ever. Whenever I, I like, I see this with the Chiefs and Mahomes. Like whenever a bunch of guys are having career years and there's one constant, or in the Chiefs' case, two with Mahomes and Reed, like you don't have to look too hard to figure out what's happening. You know, there are special players who, if you get on the court with them or on the field with them, they're going to bring out the best in you and a version of you that is not possible if you're in a different situation. So I thought that was interesting. And then Raheem, Cliff and I were talking about this before the show. He had the other comment where he kind of said like, and beats got a, I don't know. Again, everyone should listen to the whole interview, but it was basically to the effect of like, Embiid's got to be a better leader in terms of like spending time with his teammates and, you know, forming that connection that you hear like Nick Sirianni talk about all the time. And it's like Embiid has that. I don't think anyone's ever described Embiid as like a bad teammate. I think guys generally like him at the same time. It hasn't been like above and beyond where you hear the stories of him, um, you know, like. They love him like this is the greatest teammate they've ever had. Like, what did you what did you make of that? Because by all accounts, like Doc and Embiid, you know, Embiid went out on the record, whether he was telling the truth or not, and said he thought, you know, uh, Doc should be back. What did you kind of make of that comment that he threw in there? I thought that was really interesting, especially the comment that he made about how he actually said James Harden was more vocal than Joel Embiid. He said James Harden was the guy who was like calling people out as opposed to Joel Embiid. So I think Embiid is going to have to step up in that regards too, in terms of his leadership. So I, I think that's, that added another element because I wasn't, I mean, obviously we don't know the locker room dynamics unless you're, you know, a part of the team or you're actually covering the team on a day to day basis. So I found that really, really interesting because I mean, if you're going to lose heart and you're not just losing his playmaking, his scoring, you're also le- losing a leader. And Joel Embiid, like, he has to step up. And, I mean, hopefully Nick Nurse can get to him in that regard. I mean, the one thing I will say about those Toronto Raptors teams is that Kyle Lowry was the leader of that team, I mean, initially. I mean, I know Kawhi Leonard was the best player, but Kawhi Leonard is not the vocal leader. Kyle Lowry was. And, you know, as Kyle Lowry left, you saw that Raptors team wasn't the same team. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm, 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 I'm kind of, I'm kind of nervous, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I, I always like to look at range of outcomes with this stuff and what's most likely. And it's like the best case scenario is that Nick Nurse comes in and is a real difference maker, and they the role players step up and whatever the roster looks like, whether it's Harden, somebody else, whatever, like. You know, they have a great regular season. Joel Embiid plays at an MVP caliber uh, again. And then you get to the playoffs and you just kind of take that next step. Like it's, you know, it's not the biggest step. Like, the, you know, they're in, they're in game seven of the second round. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about like five more wins and you're in the NBA final. So I don't know that they're totally far away, but there's another side of it where this thing goes horribly. Like Embiid might not like playing for Nick Nurse. They might let Harden walk. They might not be as good. They might lose in the first or second round again. And Bede might start hearing it from the fans way more than he's heard from it at this point uh, in his career. And this thing could go south in a hurry where you're going, man, the window's closed and now you have to figure out what to do next. So um, yeah, as much as like, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm going to be a little bit bored by the on-court product if we zoom out and are thinking like state of the franchise which way is this headed? Uh, it's a big, whatever, nine to 12 months uh, just for the franchise where we see kind of what's next for them and what direction they're going in. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be huge. Now, we, we got a number of, of, of free agent role players. I, I definitely want to talk about them. Is there any of those guys that you would really like to see them bring back? I mean, whether it's whether it's Niang, is it McDaniels, is it Reed, is it Milton? Which one of those guys do you want to see them bring back? Yeah, it really depends. Like, you know, when we see a coach, we don't know. Like, we, all, we, we have our view of how Nick Nurse wants to play, right? But great coaches, they change their style to the personnel they have. So when you're mentioning those players, I'm kind of like, oh, McDaniels could be a player that Nick Nurse would really be interested in, right? Athlete, long, can get out there, give you that pressure, create turnovers. And so is Nick Nurse going to look at that and be like, this guy fits exactly how I want to play? I mean, McDaniels disappeared down the stretch early on. You know, there were times where I really liked what he brought to the table, that energy coming off the bench, getting you, uh, you know, a, a follow-up, making a play defensively. Not a great shooter, but he brought that to the table. And then, you know, you have Niang where if you're like, I'm not worried about the athleticism. I just want someone uh, who, who can knock down open threes. Is not going to be afraid to shoot them, um, be a physical player for us? Then that might fit the mold. So, you know, I know uh, the Sixers fan base loves Paul Reed. He gave him some good minutes. He's a fine option uh, as a backup big. I don't know that I'm like at the point where, you know, <laughs> there's some Paul Reed obsesses, obsessives uh, in the Sixers fan base. So, uh, you know. I could kind of go either way with those guys, depending on how uh, Nick Nurse wants to play. What, what about you? Is there a guy who you're like, I would really like to see them bring this guy back? I mean, we. I think we absolutely have to have Paul Reed back. I think that is yeah. the most important role player signing outside of, you know, the, the big signings with our stars. Just because we all know Joel Embiid is an injury risk. I mean, and you want to protect him. Like, that is absolutely huge. So I need to see Paul Reed back. Now, I think... You can't really decide on anybody else until I mean we figure out what's going on with Harden. Right. I mean, like that that's that's pretty much gonna hold up everything. So until we figure out that, I think that's when I'll be able to decide on th- some things. I mean, obviously there's a ton of free agents out there. I mean, there's guys like Harrison Barnes out there as well. So um it'll just be interesting to see what Harden does and then I think we can kind of make a decision from there. But you know, the number one name coming up as far as free agents is Fred Van Vliet. I like Van Vliet. But I just think he's not the defensive player that he used to be. Um, and his shooting has declined as well, which is, I mean, very unfortunate. So, And he's not a guy who I necessarily can trust to get his own shot in the half court. He's almost like, I mean, I'm not going to compare him to Harden in this, in this way, but, you know, very similar to Harden, he's feast or famine in terms of his scoring. If he's hitting his threes, then he's going to have a good day. But if he's not, then... You're not, I mean, it's it's far worse than anything we've seen from Harden. So I'm not really the biggest on Fred Van Vliet right now. I loved him during his time in Toronto, I mean, his earlier years, but I think he's he's kind of declining right now. So I would be kind of disappointing if <laughs> if we if Harden didn't resign and that's our consolation prize. <laughs> yeah, shot shot 34% uh from three last year. That was the lowest mark of his career. And he turns 30 in February. So was that a down year or is that uh, you know, a sign? Of decline, like you mentioned, there's stuff you like. You look at it statistically; they're what the best three-point shooting team in the NBA last year, right? In terms of just percentage, I, I know not on volume. James Harden shot great from three, so yeah, there are things that you're gonna look at if they if they walk away from Harden or if Harden walks away from them, and then they replace him, and they're just not gonna be good enough. Uh, to me, it's just more of a long-term question of um, you know bringing him back. Is that gonna serve the, the franchise? best do you really have a shot at next year or is Daryl Morey kind of falling into that hardened trap uh 
you know, where he's just like, I don't have any other ideas and this is going to give us our best chance and we'll see what happens next year. I mean, that that's the question here uh, of the next few weeks or the next month or whenever this thing gets resolved. Before we go, you guys know I do the Ringer Gambling Podcast and I would be remiss to mention that the Philadelphia 76ers right now, I believe that they are plus 1,300 to win the NBA title next Chuck. year. At this point, are you making that bet? Donut, find your favorite. We're a Philly podcast. Find your favorite Philly charity. Uh, I love big brothers, big sisters. Uh, Philadelphia, uh, take that money that you would put on that plus 1300 and go ahead and donate it uh, to a good cause. That's where I'm at, 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 Raheem. I mean, come on. I can't even think about the Sixers winning the title. <laughs> you honestly could have said any number. You could have gone plus, you know, 400,000. And I would still tell people donate uh, that money. I hope I'm wrong. Maybe I will be wrong. But no, I, I, I cannot get there. Do you th- Did that number surprise you as, as someone who's keeping an eye on that nonstop? It doesn't surprise me because here's the thing. They're pricing in the fact that James Harden might leave. But when you look at look at the landscape of the Eastern Conference, it's not that <laughs> oh, strong. No. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really not that strong. I mean, you got the Boston Celtics who, I mean, like Bill has been like, he's been ranting about the head coach for the entire <laughs> season. And, you know, this core has been together so long. And we were, I mean, we were like minutes away from beating them in six. And then you got the Milwaukee Bucks. You have Chris Middleton, who's a free agent. So they might not not be the same. They're lacking a ton of athleticism. So the reason why I asked you that is because I had a point to make that I think this Sixers team is actually closer to contending than people realize. Like, I that's mean, I with know. With or without Harden? Or is that's that with, just that's, with Harden? That's with Harden. I think okay. we're closer than people realize because for us to do that to the Boston Celtics, and I know Miami, they, they, they beat them in, in seven. They probably should have beat them earlier. But that's how wide open this Eastern Conference is. The, the Eastern Conference is not strong. And I think the Bucks are going to take a step back. I mean, especially if Chris Middleton leaves. They don't have a ton of athleticism. I mean, this Boston core has been together so so long. There's just this uncertainty. I mean, Jalen Brown is a free agent after next season. So, And then Miami, I mean, to me, like... It wouldn't surprise me if Miami missed the postseason if they didn't if they don't make any other moves. <laughs> so I just wanted to add I asked that just to make a point. Um, because I think we're not as far away as we think it is. I mean, we still have one of the best players in the game at Joel Embiid. We still have Tyrese Maxey. Tobias Harris is still solid. So I'm just I would love to see the type of moves that Daryl Morey makes this summer. Yeah, analytically, which is the way Morey will look at it. You're, you're not wrong. I mean, you look around. Yeah, you're not in the Western Conference. You're not in a loaded Eastern Conference. I mean, I don't know you know, like who even the favorites uh, would be. I mean, I guess Boston or, or Milwaukee would be the favorite for next year. But like you said, I mean, you, you've shown you can kind of compete uh, at that level. So you can tuck yourself into it analytically, emotionally. My head and my heart right now are just like, are you, you know, are you serious? That's not, I think the team cannot get out of the second round. So I'm not going to be able uh, to get there, but uh, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I, even, yeah, like even if Harden walks, like with, again, with Embiid and Maxi, like you could, maybe you have a surprise season, like 
you know, you could compete with some of those teams. Jalen Brown's unhappy. Someone suffers an injury. Like you're not, um, you know, totally far away within. And if Nick Nurse is a difference maker and, you know, you're better even defensively, like there are things there where you can talk yourself into it. I don't think this is going to be a talk yourself into it type year uh, for for Sixers fans, really, regardless of how the regular season goes. But we'll see. We'll see what moves they make. Maybe we'll come back on here in three weeks and I'll go, wow, Maury had something up his sleeve. I didn't see that coming. I love it. Uh, I'm back in. I don't think that's going to happen, but who knows? I'm open to, to the possibility. All right, we'll see what happens. This has been the Philly special. We got Shill. We got Raheem Palmer, a.k.a. Ross Redown. So we got Cliff on the production. Y'all know how it's going down. Make sure you check us out, Philly special. We'll be back soon to talk more Phillies, more Eagles, and hopefully some big moves from the Sixers. So we'll see what happens. I'll ask. Must be 21 and up in present and select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with the Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 if you're in Arizona. If you're in Connecticut, call one 888 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. If you're in Indiana, call 1-800-9 with it. Kansas, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. You're in Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. West Virginia, 1-800-GAMBLER.NET. Wyoming, 1-800-522-4700. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NEW-YORK. 